2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes
0: everything. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome
3: to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
4: And I'm Julie Taught-Douglas.
3: Oh, yes, because we're talking about autonomy today. Right. Um, as an entry to this, and really my sort of re-entry to the topic... Was to think about the story of Beowulf and Grendel. You remember this, right? I do. Yep. This is, of course, from uh, from Beowulf, uh, manuscript that has been passed down to us from Anglo-Saxon poet uh, from eight. Century early, early 11th century. We don't know who wrote it. Written by Anonymous.
4: England's oldest work of epic literature, though.
3: Yeah. If you've ever taken any kind of a course on Western literature, uh, uh, anything about the, the English language, then you've probably come across Beowulf. And if you haven't, then you've probably seen any number of film adaptations ranging from... Uh, well, I guess most of them are pretty ridiculous, uh, cause it's kind of a, a ridiculous story. Like the basics here is, is that you have, uh, you have this Danish king, Hrothgar. He has this hall where him and his buddies like to hang out, they like to drink, they have to like to have a good time. Mm-hmm. But there is a monster that lives in the vicinity that does not like to listen to all of this crap, which is understandable. Grendel. Yes, Grendel is the monster, and so Grendel comes and ha- generally tears a bunch of people apart and then disappears into the night, mm-hmm. back to the Moors, and uh, and then the next morning, the king is very upset about this. So finally, they bring in an expert. They bring in a monster slayer in the form of the hero Beowulf. Uh, Beowulf is an outsider. He's Scandinavian. He's coming in, and he waits up. The monster comes. Grendel comes and uh, att- starts to attack. Beowulf wrestles with him, mm-hmm. and, in the, and Beowulf's pretty fearsome, and then he rips the arm off, and then Grendel wails, runs home, and presumably dies. And I always... I always loved the monster, so I was always disappointed by this as a kid. I'm like, oh come on, Grendel. Like, I really wanted more out of you, and, and this chump just tears your arm off. I, I never liked Beowulf. I don't think he's a he's a, he's a likable character. I was associated more with Grendel. So I recently was thinking, what if what if this was not a, a situation of my my hero Grindel um, being bested? Like, uh-huh. what if his anatomy? What if his evolved uh, responses to a threat? What if they bested Beowulf? We're of course talking about autonomy here, where most most of us see this at a very early age. When you catch a lizard, you mm-hmm. catch a skink or something in your hand, and what happens?
4: The tail comes off,
3: d- just and, and falls children off.
4: just fall apart in delight because they're like, "What? Let's do it again!" Really? Yeah.
3: What? I, I felt bad. I always felt bad for the. Sure,
4: I, that's what I meant. <laughs> that's what I meant. Don't. Let's not do that again. Is what the kids say, and then they go home and and they make their beds.
3: Autotomy is, of course, the self-amputation of a body part or tissue as a means of self-defense. There's no, and there's no chewing involved here. There's no sawing. Uh, it's more like an ejection or, or better yet, uh, a shedding. And, uh, and we we're talking about tail autonomy uh, in, in the case of these lizards, which, again, is probably the, the example that is most, uh, most readily available to most people's brains. Yeah. Because the, the, they drop them pretty easily.
4: And we'll get more into the lizards and the tail dropping because it is very fascinating territory. I just want to mention that I I love that you have this Grendel revenge tale that you've recast it (laughs) as Autotomy. And uh, I'm starting to think about Grendel as the Grinch of the village. (laughs) He is kind of the Grinch. Yeah, right? Oh, that horrible noise coming from the village below. And I would love to see a Grinch tale with Autotomy in it now.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, imagine if the Grinch story had been the Grinch going down to Whoville and then the Who's beat him up and ripped his arm off. Mm -hmm. I I would side with the Grinch every time. It's like he just wanted some (laughs) peace of quiet, and you guys had to be jerks about it.
4: And your roast beast. Yeah and, and you're singing it's just nutty. Um so yeah the the regenerative powers here of of some species were f- was first discovered in 1740 when Abraham Trembley discovered that a polyp could regenerate its tentacle crowned head if it was amputated and he called it hydra after of course the head renewing monster from Greek mythology.
3: Yeah you cut off one head and two grow in its place. And of course that's the other fascinating thing about autotomy is that when the lizard sheds its tail a new tail grows back. And in my version of the Grendel story that's in my head alone, (laughs) um, his arm would eventually grow back.
4: It would. Not quite the same. Not a perfect arm. We'll get into that. Uh, But yet, it would grow back. Uh, We see starfish doing this, by the way. Some flatworms can rebuild their entire bodies from a single cell, which is fascinating. And I wanted to mention geckos that drop their tails. Um, They found... That it shows a the tail actually shows a complex pattern of repeating movements to distract the attacker. So we are talking for up to fifty seconds dramatic flips or lunges by this tail.
3: Fifty seconds. Wow.
4: Fifty seconds, and uh, the the gecko tail that has been self amputated makes four to eight rhythmic moves per second, with one of these complex movements like flipping.
3: Because the classic scenario here, outside of children picking them up, is that the lizard is threatened by a predator, mm-hmm. say a, a house cat or a snake or something, and it jettisons the tail. Tail just falls off, and the this, and the uh, and the, the lizard makes a run for it. it but it, you know you don't just want to leave the the gift of the tail. You you right. also want it to twitch. You want it to move around as a distraction. Because again, anything you can do to survive, anything that this uh, mechanism can do to push the game in favor of the the lizard, of the prey.
4: Yeah, it's kind of the MacGuffin of the plot here. So you just leave this tail. You don't want it to look dead. You want it to look alive. You Mm -hmm. want it to look like it's, you know, something that the cat or the child, in this case, I suppose, Mm -hmm. still wants to play with. And that's why I think it's so interesting about the, the fact that they are these central pattern generators in the tail itself. After it has ejected itself from the lizard, that allow it to to sort of regenerate itself.
3: Yeah, and in some cases too, the the, the, the coloration of the tail is different. Like uh, mm-hmm. Skilton skink is a great example because its tail is also bright blue. So if it needs to jettison this tail, bam! It's it's not only is it is it twitching and hopping all over the place for for a, for a little bit. It's also a bright color. Catch yeah,
4: it, it's a nice like look here, not here move. Yes. Yeah.
3: All right. Hey. Well, we're going to take a quick break, Can we come back more on autotomy, more on a lizards dropping their tail and another reason that lizards and, and other uh, organisms we will get into will drop a limb or a tail or some other part of their body and make a break for it shout out to astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples
1: rob as the uh, the local host with allergies here they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies what was your experience like
3: Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
5: Top 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what
0: about the rollback?
5: Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple launch strata Get your tickets
1: at cedarpoint.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast.
0: All right, we're back.
3: Now, another reason uh, that it appears that uh, lizards, or at least some lizards, do uh, a little bit of the tail dropping, a little of the uh, Mm autotomy, comes down to not a general uh, population of predators, but a single predator. Because that's kind of been uh, one of the, the... the existing theories about uh, how this works uh, with the tail dropping. is so that They've evolved it because they live in a, uh, a situation where there are a lot of predators around, so therefore they have to have uh, a pretty drastic means of getting away. And you'll see uh, environments where the, the lizards have more predators mm-hmm. to deal with. The predator population is greater, and so f- therefore their uh, uh, propensity for autonomy is increased.
4: Okay, so more roving children and cats, the more there are tail
3: droppers. Yeah. At, at they'll drop it at the drop of a hat, right? Yes. Um, Especially if that hat is being uh, wielded by a a toddler. Now, we were looking at a 2009 uh, study from the University of Michigan, and they were looking at uh, particularly some lizards on some offshore Aegean Sea islands. And uh, they found that the, the situation here with the autotomy is that the lizard is dealing with one particular super predator in the form of venomous vipers. All right? The vipers are just eating lizards left and right. This mm-hmm. is the main concern for these uh, for these creatures. And they're, they're finding that what happens is that if the viper bites the lizard on the tail, mm-hmm. they jettison the tail. It's like on an episode of Walking Dead. <laughs> if an individual is bit on the foot by a zombie, what yeah. do you do? You grab a hacksaw and you... You saw off that limb to keep the, uh, the, the zombie illness from taking hold of the individual.
4: Okay, so in this case, uh, they're just getting rid of the tail so the venom doesn't get into their bloodstream and, and spread throughout the rest of their bodies.
3: Yeah, they got to cut and run. they got to cut their losses, and their losses, in this case, are the tail. So the
4: thing about this tail dropping is that it is an engineering marvel. You know, and you, you have always known about this, right? You As a child, you knew that, that the lizard's tail would drop off, but it probably never occurred to you, like, exactly how does this happen? And if you look at this closely, it is jaw-dropping.
3: Yeah, because the, the basic story that probably a parent or a teacher told you when you said, oh, my goodness, that lizard's tail came off, and they were like, oh, it's all right, it does that as a self-defense mm-hmm. measure, the tail will grow back, and then it can drop that tail again uh, if it's threatened. Okay, then that That's an acceptable story, but then when you start asking, why, how does that work? like like in in a human, in a even a monster like Grindel, like to imagine that happening, mm-hmm. that like an arm coming off and then not bleeding to death and then growing <laughs> back e- even a, even a partial arm uh-huh. in its place like that just seems crazy that seems magical
4: right how does that affect the organism and we'll get more into that but in terms of the actual engineering of it it turns out that there are horizontal fracture planes on most lizards not all and lizard tails will actually detach on what we could call as like a biological dotted line And Jan Engeld and colleagues from Aarhus University in Denmark, they used advanced bioimaging techniques to discover that a toke gecko sheds its tail along these preformed score lines in specific regions of the tail. And then this is all held together by adhesive forces at these lines. And the process of separation is independent of protein cleaving enzymes. There's a lot going on here. And there's microstructures at the ends of muscle fibers that are probably involved in the release of the tail. But uh, what's even cooler is that the the lizard actually assists in this um, cleaving of the tail by contracting muscles around the fracture planes.
3: And we know this because we've had experiments where we've put the lizards under, and we found that uh, it's harder to get the tail off of an unconscious lizard.
4: Yeah, right, meaning that obviously when they're conscious, they are, they're aiding this effort.
3: Yes. To so, squeeze the, their muscles. Yeah. so it's still, you know, there's still score lines. The tail is still detachable, mm-hmm. but uh, they have to actually have some sort of conscious uh, will, some sort of reaction to actually push it off.
4: And the way that it is pushed off and in this sort of fracture line, these pre-scored lines, it makes, uh, it makes the blood loss minimal and actually helps in terms of the healing process. And there is a book called Engineered Biomimicry. In that book, they're actually saying that the principles of autotomy could be used in in a bunch of places. Um, They were talking about fire protection in buildings, flow control for sewer systems, and disassembly of industrial products. So if you have a car that you need to disassemble or a washing machine, you would have fracture points for disassembly. And it's really sort of brilliant when you think about it in manufacturing.
3: So you can think of it in terms of like what happens if, if an individual, individual like loses a, a limb out in the wild. Like, mm-hmm. what are some of the first aid things you're supposed to do? Like, you want to uh, you want to close the wound. You want to uh, apply a tourniquet.
4: I was gonna say I rip off a piece of my shirt.
3: Exactly. Right.
4: And so then I'm a, like I have like a half shirt on at this point,
3: and yeah.
5: I've got
4: like a six pack. Yeah. And I'm Rambo. Exactly. By the way. And then I, I use that as a tourniquet.
3: Yeah, so similar things happen. The, the ring of muscles around the, the, the score lines, they essentially tie off local blood vessels to prevent uh, bleeding. And immediately after the autotomy occurs, the skin contracts are on the edge of the tail step. So it's like applying a tourniquet and a bandage.
4: Yeah, I mean, very cool stuff. And again, this is engineering at work here, and uh, that is why some people are very interested in, the, in, in biomimicking it.
3: Yes. Now, there's a cost, of course.
4: Of course, losing a limb is just no small thing.
3: Right, because they, they're going to grow the tail back or a tail back, but it's not going to be there immediately. So you have this wonderful trick to evade a predator, but you can only do it uh, a few times during the course of your life because it's going to take take uh, quite a while for it to to grow back. We're talking um, you know, months uh, or even longer.
4: Well, and also think about the structure of your own body and imagine if you had a tail and you had a lot of fat stored in it. If yes. you lost it, that would be a huge uh, source that you had lost, right? And uh, a food source, a potential food source for your body. And not only that, your locomotion would differ because all of a sudden your weight is distributed differently.
3: Right. I mean, it, when a lizard runs, the tail is very much a factor in its movement. So, mm-hmm. you take the tail away, you're going to it's going to it's going affect movement, no doubt. And again, to your point You lose the fat stores in the tail, and then Mm -hmm. you have to... So you're losing the energy you had stored away, and then you've got to use more energy to grow the tail back.
4: Uh, Yeah, and this is really interesting. Um, This is from the Journal of Zoology, the... Uh, title of this study, by the way, I love it, is To Cut a Long Tail Short, a Review of Lizard Caudal Autotomy, studies carried out over the last 20 years by Bateman and Fleming, says that a study of four populations of N. metallicus, we're talking about the metallic skink lizard, demonstrated that the population with the greatest number of tail breaks was also smaller, which could be an indirect reflection of the energetic burden of repeated caudal autonomy, a caudal meaning the tail falling off and tail regeneration in this population.
3: Yeah, it ends up having an effect on their their reproductive abilities. Mm -hmm. It can affect an individual's uh, ability to socialize uh, and or mate with other lizards because, yeah, you survive, but you you no longer have a tail, at least for the time being.
4: Yeah, think about poor Grendel going back to his lair, and maybe there are other Grendel-like uh ladies, Yeah. maybe they're not going to be so interested to invest their time in Grendel, because I don't know, first of all, he's going to be able to regenerate that limb. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have a lot of time also to spend with them.
3: Well, that's why he ended up living with his mom. Yeah. That's how it happens, yeah. Yeah.
4: always. But yeah, I mean, he's got to take that time and that energy to try to heal himself. And we also see that in, in females, um, in female lizards who have lost their tails, that they actually produce um, less in terms of their clutches of eggs. Mm -hmm. And presumably, again, this is because they're devoting more of their energy to regenerating that tail. And also you see a reduction just in reproductive fitness in general.
3: So as we've said, the tail grows back. But what grows back is not going to be a perfect uh, replication of what was lost. It's more like, it's not a full-size spare, in other words. It's kind of like that little donut uh, tire that you keep in the back. Uh, you can, you can put it on. Yes. Now that you can actually drive down the road, but you're not going to achieve the same speed you did before. The car is going to look a little funny and people are going to, if you take it on the interstate, people are going to like point out their window at you and say, hey, why are you driving with that spare?
4: Yeah. Eventually it might wear down, right? Yeah. Slow you down. Uh, so let's, let's, uh, look at Grendel here in his lair, right? He's got the tourniquet on there. He's mm-hmm. trying to stem the, the, blood flow, and um, you know, if if Grendel had been a lizard, perhaps muscular rings would be helping to tie off, really, instead of that tourniquet. Uh, But what happens immediately after autonomy is that the skin contracts around the end of the tail stub. So you have cells from the outermost layer of skin closing over the wound, and you have new cells creating what is called a wound epidermis. In this sense, chemical instructions to the other cells, and this is key, Mature cells, like muscle and connective tissue cells, revert to an immature mass called a blastema. And this is the thing that helps to, to actually create the regeneration of that limb that was lost. And we'll talk more about that blastema later when we talk about humans and the possibility of regeneration of our own limbs. Um, but, we, you know, you have different species with different growth rates, and this is a slow thing happening. And as you say, you don't always get the same sort of limb that you had before. It's a little bit more like a spare tire.
3: Yeah. All right, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, more on this fascinating topic, more tails dropping, uh, and in some cases, ears.
0: Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking and all day drinks for one low price but you better hurry because this bundle won't last long save now at cedarpoint.com
1: today's episode is brought to you by technically speaking an intel podcast when you think about the future what kind of technology do you envision whatever the future holds artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all
5: Perfect home, sweet home.
3: All right, we're back. We're talking about autotomy. We're talking about uh, shedding, jettisoning, uh, dropping that tail or other part of the body in order to make a break for it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the fascinating thing about this is it's not just lizards and amphibians that experience this. We see it in a whole host of animals. It occurs in both vertebrates and invertebrates, and it is a measure that evolves separately in each.
4: Right. This is kind of amazing that um, this is a self-defense system that evolved. And if you look at stone crabs, you will see that their claws, they can, you know, self-eject and orb weaving spiders. Now, we've talked about the orb weaving spiders before. We were talking about some of the things that they do during, during sexual reproduction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, the male orb spider will be decapitated uh, for various reasons that I won't go into right now. But it also turns out that they can drop a leg if stung by a wasp. So there's like a lot of dismemberment going on.
3: Yeah, and again, it's kind of like the whole zombie thing. Bit by a zombie, drop the leg. Stung by a bee or a wasp, drop the leg. Because especially if you're a spider, you got uh, you got eight of those things. So, you know, you can lose one.
4: Sure, exactly. Um, and then you have something called Octopoteuthis delatron squid, or Del- o delatron.
3: Ooh, nice.
4: Yeah, it's nice. Um, and this will actually deploy its limbs sometimes... Not only just to, to scare a predator or to get them off of the trail of the squid itself, mm-hmm. but also to wreak havoc on others. So that sort of like independently they can eject one of their limbs or many of them.
3: Uh-huh. And they're just, just a freak.
4: Freak you out. Freak out huh? Yeah. Okay. So, the you know, this limb is coming at you and it, it appears like it's attacking you. And actually there's some great footage of this where you can see, I think it's the boom mic being attacked by one of the limbs.
3: You know that would really work in the human world. You know, you're getting if you're getting hassled on the subway, mm-hmm. you just start throwing hands at them—just bloody, stumped hands, multiple.
4: You're on Marta, our train system here in Atlanta,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and you have one, uh, one part of your body that you can use autonomy with. What do you
3: use? Well, I'm not going to drop the legs because I need those to run away. Uh-huh. I'm probably going to go with. Uh, Maybe maybe my left forearm and hand. Okay. You know, just sort of, because that way I can sort of sling it off at them with a punch on the end of it if need be.
4: Wow, okay. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Uh, originally, I was thinking that I would just eject my nose into someone's eye. Yeah. But I don't know that that would buy me much time.
3: Yeah, plus you'd have to have some other, like you'd really have to force that thing out. But I guess you, there's, all, there's air that, uh, back there, the air cavities, nasal cavities. You could somehow have some sort of propulsion system. Uh, evolved there.
4: Yeah, and you've never seen me blow my nose before, have <laughs> you? It's pretty impressive.
3: Self-defense sneeze.
4: Yeah, that's why I try to do it in the bathroom, uh, not in the break room. All right. So, what else, though, when we look out into the animal world, what else could amaze us?
3: Well, of course, the most amazing creature, really, for for our from our human perspective, is of course uh, when we can see this in mammals. Uh, because it's one thing for a lizard right. to do it. It's one thing, of course, slugs do it. Oh, it, it, it if you've listened to our episode about slugs in love and their various reproductive measures, it should become no surprise when you learn about a slug doing anything gross. They, they, they're the, the, the inventors of everything. Uh, disgusting. Slinging so, their love darts. Love darts, uh, penises coming out of the sides of their heads, <laughs> you, you name it. So, yeah, it like the, the idea that they also practice autotomy, not a surprise. Exactly. But... It is surprising when you start thinking about mammals doing it because you're a little closer to the human equation mm-hmm. here, right? And we see this when we look at a particular rodent called the African spiny mouse.
4: That's right, because, all right, you, human, you, Robert, yes. if you sustain a wound to your ear, what happens?
3: Uh, well, then my ear's going to look funny. It's like I'm going to get, like if I get mm-hmm. like bashed in the ear enough times, I'm going to get a cauliflower ear. If I lose a bit of it, I'm just going to have a little less ear going on up there. Yeah,
4: you're going to have a lot of scar tissue. Yeah,
3: scar tissue is going to build up.
4: But if you are an African spiny mouse, it's an entirely different story
2: here.
3: Yeah, the crazy part here, according to a 2012 study from the University of Florida, the African spiny mouse appears to regenerate ear tissue Mm -hmm. in a very similar way to a salamander when it regrows a limb that has been lost to a predator. Uh, That means skin, hair follicles, cartilage, everything in the ears will grow back. It also regrows uh, tissue on its main body when it's injured. Yeah. But not as completely as it does with the ears. Uh, so it just heals quickly elsewhere in the body, but only the, tr- the ears truly regenerate.
4: Now, uh, Ashley W. Serfert, uh, the postdoc researcher in this study, punched holes in the ears of African spiny mice to figure this out, by the way. And he became. <laughs>
3: with a hole punch.
4: Uh it doesn't say a whole it doesn't say what the instrument was, uh, but I would like to imagine that it oof. was a whole punch. Uh but Seifert actually became interested in the mouse when a colleague said that it appeared to have tear away skin that allowed it to escape a predator's grasp. And that's when Cypher said, Huh, let's take a closer look at this and see what's going on.
3: Tear away skin. Skin. Yeah. It's very like a, It's like an animal design by Clive Barker that exists in the
4: world. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and the researchers actually believe that it could lead to a new model system for skin wound healing and tissue regeneration in humans.
3: And that's the thing, right? And you see this a lot. It's kind of, it's, it's often what pops up at the very end of any study mm-hmm. into autonomy is that the researcher will say, and hey, sometime in the future this might help humans heal. Because it's, nice, like, it's a nice way to end your study into lizards dropping their tails on some remote island somewhere or in the backwoods of Georgia or wherever. Or
4: hole-punching.
3: Yeah. It, it is, and I, we love that stuff. We love a little like navel-gazing, future-gazing, and uh, and if you can spin that out of a, out of a study, I'm all for it. And it also works great in a headline, right? Right. Lizards may hold the key to regeneration in humans in the future or, or something to that effect.
4: But right now, as humans, when when something happens to us, we're just talking about scar tissue and, and that's pretty much that. Um, but getting the healing process to the point of actually creating a, a new limb would require that blastoma that we were talking about, that the muscles and the connective tissue cells reverting to an immature mass. That is key. And that's where researchers are really looking into this and saying, you know, why don't mammals like us have this regenerative power?
3: Well, why don't we have it? Uh, the, the answer to that, of course, is, is simple. It's why, like, the, same, the same answer is, why do we not have shells? Why do we not have uh, you know crazy claws mm-hmm. ripping things apart? Because we have evolved as a species dependent more upon our brain power and our ingenuity as opposed to any kind of built-in weapons or defense measures that we have.
4: That's right. We can point to our neocortex and go, you don't have that, do you?
3: Yeah. Like, the closest thing we have to this really, as humans, is the clip-on tie. You're gonna go grab me by my necktie and uh, and 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 brutalize me? No, because the tie comes right off, just like a lizard's tail.
4: Hair extensions.
3: Yeah, hair extensions. Another mm-hmm. example. Oh, you think you have me by the hair? Nope. Nope. It comes right off. Yep. But what's standing in the way? What's standing in the way of us uh, adapting this for humans? Because certainly researchers are already looking at the the genetic basis for regeneration in uh, in lizards, and then and then inevitably in uh, African spiny mice as well. Mm-hmm. Looking at what enables these limbs to regrow, and we know enough about gene tinkering at this point. I mean, it's a fairly new uh, ability, but we know enough about it to to realize, hey, at some point we can start combining a little A with a a little from from column B Mm -hmm. and potentially have some sort of human ability for regeneration.
4: What's standing in the way, um, besides the fact that, you know, it's scar tissue and boom and nothing else happens, Mm -hmm. is, is really trying to understand how that process works. And to do that, you've got to have the right sort of species at your disposal. And in this case, the right sort of species is a salamander. And it takes a long time for that tail to regenerate. So it's not like you're collecting a massive data here.
3: Yeah, it's slow to grow, and salamanders are not good laboratory animals. Also, salamander genomes are really bloated, it turns out. They have ten times the amount of DNA as humans, and no one's ever really sequenced them all the way. And we only recently developed the means to hack salamander genes. And we're talking recently, it's 2009 that we've mm-hmm. really uh, come into that. Uh, and, uh, you know, another thing here about this is that not a lot of people are looking into it. It's not necessarily on everyone's radar, because we have a few other stars in the classroom when it comes to uh, potential for enormous impact on human health mm-hmm. and uh, repairing lost limbs, damaged organs, et cetera.
4: Well, you're actually seeing strides in stem cell regeneration, and, and particularly when you're talking about uh, growing organs. So it would make sense that you would look more toward that column for hope of limb regeneration or limb growing, really.
3: Yeah, and also you have to consider the, the, the things we don't know mm-hmm. about regeneration. And uh, these particular items uh, were uh, brought to our minds by Ed Young, who wrote a BBC article called Will We Ever Regenerate Limbs? He pointed out the, the limb won't regenerate if the nerves inside don't start growing. But what exactly do the nerves do? He uh, he asked when the c- cells in the stump rewind their fates to become that blastema, how far back does it go? Mm-hmm. And then he pointed out, how do the cells of the regrowing limb know where they are and how do they take the right shape? Or or how do they make a working limb and not a, just a useless deformed, uh, you know, limb on the end of the arm?
4: Yeah, that's pretty fascinating that so specifically it knows what to recreate the yeah. cells. So Ed Young also said that perhaps the reason why humans don't have this um, up our sleeves is that the same checkpoints, this is a quote from him, the same checkpoints that stop our cells from growing uncontrollably into tumors might also stop a blastoma from forming. That kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. You don't want any sort of abnormal growth happening. So perhaps in humans, it's just the stopgap measure to making sure that uh, something isn't becoming a malignant form.
3: Yeah, and you don't want to like en- enable humans to regenerate just so that they can, uh, you know, every time I get the flu, I start growing random arms out of my back. It that would, would be, weird. be
4: helpful, actually.
3: Well, but they'd be like little baby arms. What am I going to do with those?
4: Yeah. Um,
3: Hold on to notes, store pencils, knit, yeah. Game, yeah.
4: Right? Starting to seem better, right? Uh, All right. so a counter argument uh, that Seifert makes, Seifert of the African Spiny Mass, says that human diseases from heart attacks to cirrhosis involve some sort of fibrosis where the body deals with injuries by laying down connective tissue. He says fibrosis is the antithesis of regeneration. So if we can understand how animals avoid it, it could tell us how to stop scar tissue from building up on our vital organs, which can be very problematic. So he's saying that this is still something that we should study, and we should still try to figure out how it happens and why it happens.
3: Seifert also points Pointed out that small salamanders took 400 days to grow back a leg, and uh, and and that's less than four millimeters across. And the largest ones needed more than uh, a decade to finish the job. So Seifert argued that even if a human could grow uh, a limb back Mm -hmm. with a with a with a similar uh, adaptive feature, it might take 15 to 20 years. Now, if one loses a limb, that might be an acceptable wait time. That's the thing. I mean, it's not in, in terms of like treatment of an illness. Fifteen to twenty years. Yeah. That's that's a long treatment time. But think of the things that that you would you, you would go on that waiting list for. If someone was like, "Hey, your uh, uh, you know, your your uh, your lungs not doing that great. Mm-hmm. We can grow you a new one, uh, you know, a nice fresh one. But it'll take fifteen to twenty years of your game." Say well, yes.
4: I think especially if the Aubrey de Grey model of life expectancy actually plays out. So, if we actually do see 120, 300, 400 year yeah. old people who are needing um, different body parts, fresh ones that are that are operating in a way that actually gives them a better quality of life experience, then yeah, maybe 15 to 20 years isn't a big deal.
3: Yeah, you think as say you lose an arm, 15 to 20 years to regrow that arm. I think that makes sense. The the question uh, that that arises is if we get to the point where you can use some sort of uh, gene tinkering regeneration to regrow that to Mm -hmm. arm over the course of a couple of decades. Um is it will it, will it be a faster option by that point, just to grow it in a lab uh, to to uh, to use stem cells, uh, use uh, tissue uh, growing techniques to develop a new arm and simply transplant that onto the body?
4: well, that's the that's a great question because we already have the scaffolding in place mm-hmm. to essentially grow the structure. So yeah, um, it, it would be really fascinating to see in a decade from now, what the answers to these questions are. I mean, I think I'm going to go with stem cell. I have to say regeneration.
3: Yeah, or or will we see some sort of combination of the two, where yeah. it's like you grow me something in the vat, and then you're also doing some sort of regeneration technique to make the like the stump meet the new arm.
4: Okay, I'm pondering it. Okay, that was a pondering silence.
3: All right, think it over, and uh, and silence is key. Uh, especially if you uh, uh, live uh, out there in the wilds, uh, perhaps near some sort of mysterious moor. Uh, you don't want to party too loud. You don't want to play this podcast too loud mm-hmm. because there's a creature out there, potentially, that uh, may want to come and tear you limb for limb and possibly leave one of uh, his or her own limbs if things get a little too rowdy.
4: The Grinch, right?
3: Yes, the Grinch. <laughs> Grinch, Grindle. I I wonder if there's a, some, some uh, connection there. I never thought of it. There's
4: got to be some sort of subconscious thing going on there.
3: Huh? There was an old episode of Tales from the Dark Side, in which uh, a Grinch-like creature comes and like uh, slays the mother and father uh, who don't believe in Christmas.
4: Gosh, there's a long tradition there because then you have um, what is the the anti-Santa Claus? I'm totally well, blanking oh, right now. Krampus. Mm-hmm. Krampus, yeah. Krampus is very much like the Grinch. So.
3: Okay. Yeah. Krampus grinsily. Just, yeah, not, there's, eating, there's just not eating. Just not eating the who's there. Yes, not eating the whos. In yeah. the first
4: draft, at least. <laughs>
3: All right. Well, on that note, let's call over the robot and uh, do at least one listener mail yeah. just to keep the robot happy. All right. Here here comes one uh, from our listener in response to the creepy music episode, the uncanny music episode, the science of uncanny music. We've heard a lot from you guys on this one. And, you know, sadly, we're not going to be able to read all the responses, but we received a lot of great content. Uh, in this one, uh listener says, Hi, my name is Richard Brunner, and I was just writing in to say your episode about creepy music is timely, and not just because Halloween is coming up. I just finished working as an assistant on a film score for a horror film last week out in Los Angeles, so it was interesting to hear the podcast about horror music. It definitely does add a lot to the scary nature of horror films. I was working as a music production assistant uh, and on sheet music preparation for the recording session, so I didn't have much to do with the actual writing uh, of the music on this film, but it was certainly an interesting experience working with the composer, and seeing his music come together, and how much the music and sound effects enhance the horror of the horror film. Also, I wanted to, say to, wanted to say congratulations on three years of the podcast so far. I've been listening to many of the episodes over the past year or so, and I always enjoy them. Hopefully, there will be many more years to come.
4: All right. Very cool. It's uh, interesting to hear it from that first hand account, yeah. of watching the process come together.
3: Yeah. And, and, of course, I always love hearing from listeners and finding out what uh, neat and interesting uh, hobbies, passions, and jobs end up uh, opposing you know, their lives. Uh, so, to his point, three years of podcasts. If you want to find those, if you want to experience all three <laughs> years of Stuff to Blow Your Mind and, uh, and the earlier podcasts that it evolved out of, then you can find them at stufftoblowyourmind.com. That means episodes that you cannot find on iTunes. Uh, you can only find them there at our website, along with our blogs, our videos, everything else. Anything stuff to blow your mind will wind up there at some point or another. Also, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We have a pretty cool Tumblr account. We're on Google+. Plus. Uh, we're on YouTube, Mind Stuff Show. That's another place to get our videos. But you can still send us a good old-fashioned uh, email, and we will read that as well.
4: It's true. It will show up in our inbox. And you can drop us a line at BlowTheMind at
0: Discovery.com.